Speaking Queerly. Hi, my name is Madam Joe Mama, and you are listening to Speaking Queerly, the podcast. Dumfries and Galloway's one and only LGBTQIA plus podcast. And as always, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Ruri Finsmith. How are you, babe? I am stunning tonight, Joe. How are you? Yeah, I am so good. Thank you so much. How are you? <laughs> did I already ask that? You did indeed. Okay. I, um, I'm just trying to be natural so that you can segue into the socials. Yeah, very that. And uh, segue, I shall. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Speaking Queerly with madame joe and rudy or you can find us on instagram and on threads at speaking.really you absolutely can and this week we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by one of our dear friends it is the wonderful joanna levin how are you hello i'm good today actually i've got a little bit of a sore throat which is why i've got that kind of husky voice on <laughs> but good for the sex lines absolutely <laughs> hi y'all what's your name um no, it's fantastic to have you on. Thank you. Um, and we will talk in just a wee moment. Um, but as Rory said, if you want to reach out, you absolutely can. And we will be back just after this. So, Joe. Yes. There's two Joes in the studio. There is indeed. <laughs> so for the for Rory, and yeah. only Rory, when you're asking one of us something, which I'm sure it'll mostly be the lovely Joanna... Joe is Joe, I'll be Madam Joe. Absolutely no heads. Absolutely no heads. Mistress Joe and Madam Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that will work out, right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Mistress Joe. <laughs> She's one of my babies. Um, <laughs> Joe, we invited you onto the show because if there's one thing we don't hear often here in Dumfries, it's trans experiences in the region. Mm. So you are an out and proud trans woman. Mm-hmm. When did you come out? So I came out, I was a lockdown, a lockdown transitioner. Um, So I came out when I was 19 in 2020. Um, So that's when I came out and started the whole transition process. But I feel like a few years prior to that, when I was about 15, 16, that's when, you know, puberty was in full, you know, full speed ahead. Um, Bodily changes were happening. And at that point... I knew there was something wrong because I was just very uncomfortable with all the changes that were happening. And so I think when I was 16, I kind of sort of worded it in a very confusing way to my parents, like, oh, I feel this way. But because I wasn't articulate with it, they didn't quite get it. At that point, I was, you know, out as out as gay and they were very accepting. But it wasn't till I think lockdown hit. And I think for all of us during lockdown, we had a lot of time to just sit and think and sit with our thoughts. And it was during that period um, that I really sort of reevaluated everything. And I thought, I'm, I can't run away from this anymore. Like, I just knew, like, I knew most of my entire life, basically, that yeah, I, was, I was meant to be a girl. Yeah. So let's so let's talk about that a little bit. So maybe sort. Of when do you think, as a child, you sort of realised? Mm. Mm, no. <laughs> I think you know. Looking back now, because um, obviously before you start hormones in the UK, anyway, you have to go through like a screening process, psychiatric evaluation, and they really help you unpack a lot of things. And I think for me, it was from a very young age, maybe about five or six. Um, and I think a lot of people that are transgender suffer from a medical diagnosis called gender dysphoria, which is just the feeling from a very young age that you're were born in the wrong body, yes, basically. So a female, in my case, a female brain in a boy's body. And for me, I remember just start of primary school, like being six, seven years old, and all my friends were girls. I had no guy friends. Um, I think an odd thing that I remember doing is like if me and my siblings would like go to the swimming pool or play out in the paddling pool, um, me and my brother, um, I would always be adamant of like putting a vest top on and my top half as if like there was something to, you know, to cover. Um, and it's funny now when I, when, when I came out to my parents, finally, after a while, my mum was like, do you know what, Joe? We're, we're not surprised. Like there was loads of things. Like she was like, you always wanted to dress up. You always wanted to like put on your my makeup and my clothes and things. So I think it, throughout childhood, just loads of different things that kind of came to a head, I think. 
Yeah. So, Joe, like in terms of your experiences then in adolescence and moving out of childhood, mm-hmm. um, you obviously knew from a, a very young age that there was something kind of um, something not quite right. Uh, and then moving into your adolescent kind of years, how did you how, how was your experience like as a young young teenager coming to terms with your identity? Uh, and, and sorry, and just to kind of to, to, to build on that as well, just kind of giving consideration because because you're from Annan, is that right? Mm-hmm. So you were kind of growing up in a rural community like mm-hmm. many other young yeah. people around here. So how was that experience? Yeah, for you? I'm an Annan lassie. <laughs> oh. You can't tell. Um, yeah, well, I was lucky in that throughout school. I mean, I didn't transition till left secondary school, but even you know, just being a gay kid in high school, you know, it wasn't. A very pleasant experience as we've all we've all had um so I couldn't even imagine you know transitioning throughout school that would be incredibly tough um I was very quiet as a kid in school the vast majority of school because of that because I just thought there was other gay people in my year that were very out and open and honest about it but my way of kind of dealing with it was to sort of shelter myself and just go to school I had a tight-knit group of friends um and obviously people would ask me like oh are you are you gay are you gay and you know I'd never I wish I looking back now I wish I was just like yeah but I, I think and I think because in my head I knew I wasn't you know yeah. I knew very early on that I was attracted to men but I wasn't gay yeah. so I in my head like because obviously sexual orientation is so different to gender identity so it, there was the misalignment with that too I had people telling me that I was something I had people telling me since primary school you're gay you're gay but I knew I wasn't I was yeah. in my head I was like no I'm a straight woman like I just it, but you know I couldn't I you didn't, didn't know, quite how, know how to articulate yeah it. I didn't yeah. know no going through school and you know being known as one of the gay kids is so tough mm-hmm. so tough mm-hmm. so having that sort of disconnect between your, your gender identity and <clears> your <throat> sexual orientation at the time must have been like really challenging for you when you know in your head, you're you sort of already know like mm, woman. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, did you want to tell people, or did you know that you were ready to tell people? Or I feel it wasn't till I was about eighteen that I had the language to fully articulate it. But it's mm-hmm. funny looking back too, because obviously I'm twenty two, so YouTube's been around most of my life, and I remember being twelve, thirteen years old, the first sort of time that I was exposed to transgender women on YouTube. Um, and I remember at the time watching videos on it, just thinking, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but subconsciously, after a few years, I was like, the reason at that age that I was watching them was because my brain was going, oh, this, I'm that, this is me. Like, this makes so much sense. Particularly because um, there's a big case in America, you know, Jazz Jennings, she's about the same age as me. And I remember in the media at the time when I was about 11, 12 years old of someone of the same age as me going through transition. And I remember thinking like, oh, I wish I could do that. So I think that's that's the thing. It's like, that's the difference I think between a gay kid and a trans kid is like, the trans kid is like, most people that are gay, they're not, they're, most of them aren't going to be thinking, oh, I really want to be a woman. Oh, I wish I could, you know, you know, wake up tomorrow and be a woman. And oh, I want to do what they're doing in that in that sort of sense. So I knew there was like a big, a big misalignment. I just knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, particularly in school, I think as queer people, like high school is like a horrible environment <laughs> anyways. And I, I don't think that's ever going to change. I think you're always going to get, because the, the kids that bully the kids that are different, they just learn it from their parents. Yes. So usually it's like, if the, there's if one of the kids is homophobic, chances are it's their, their dad is too. Like they've heard it from their parents because kids just learn from their role models. And if their role models are kind of shitty, then, you know, they're just going to replicate. So yeah, school wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't all doom and gloom like I did I think by the end of school I was more confident in, mis- in myself um, but it wasn't till after school that I fully you know started the transition process. So Joe, I thought it was really fascinating earlier when you were talking about how you went through your transition journey during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I'd never even considered. Yeah, it was so funny how you <laughs> referred to it as being a lockdown transitioner even having a terminology for that. Um, that must have been a uniquely kind of confusing experience for you can you tell us a little bit about what that was like absolutely I feel like I always joke it's like before before COVID COVID hit I can't even speak before COVID hit I was a guy and I came out of like COVID 
as a woman, like over the course of that two years, um, it did make the process a little bit slower, but in a way, I think the timing of it, everything fell into place. So I dropped out of university. Um, I just moved home when COVID hit. And then through that summer of 2020 was when I came out, um, started hormones in September of 2020. And at the time I was working full time in a fish factory, which was lovely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honking. Um, but yeah, so I was working full time and because of that, I was able to save up for my surgeries. Um, and obviously we were in and out of so many lockdowns. So by July, 2021, when I had my Adam's apple removed, which is like, they call it a tracheal shave. Um, yes, I know she's fancy. <laughs> um, by the time I'd had my tracheal shave in the summer of 2021, I'd been on hormones almost a year. Um, and just as well, I got it done when I did because not long after the restrictions went back again. So I was kind of doing all the groundwork when, you know, restrictions were, you know, allowed me to do so. Um, so most of most of COVID, I was like transitioning quietly in the background, um, unbeknownst to most people um, for a good while. So it's, it's crazy. That's the thing. I feel like COVID as well has this weird time dilation thing where it's like it was 2019 and all of a sudden now it's nearly 2024 and we're still processing it. So I feel like it's the past couple of years for everyone's just went really, really quickly. Totally. No, I, I yeah. couldn't agree more. It, it's interesting that that your experience in particular, because you, you, as you say, you went into lockdown as someone completely different to who you yeah. came out as mm -hmm. at the very end of it. How did the people around you act? So obviously you live in Annan, which mm -hmm. for those who don't know is a very tight-knit town everybody knows who yeah. each other is like yeah. people know you've had a shit before you've even farted oh literally, like yeah. that's just how it is like and i've lived in towns like that myself yeah so like <laughs> especially working in a place like my former employer which i won't name because i don't want to get in trouble <laughs> it's one of those places that is like it's the rumor mill and if they don't know they make it up well that's yeah. it i mean i worked in annan for far too long um, <laughs> I know it was only months but it was still far too long um, I worked in Annan right I, it was I worked in a bookies and it was literally a case of someone would come in and it would start off like Pamela and John have separated mm -hmm. and by the end of the day it was Pamela and John had a fist fight outside, <laughs> outside the shed and yeah it's like it becomes a whole thing yeah it, Annan's it's crazy it is. It's bonkers, and it's one of those. I mean, I love it in a way because of that. It's like I think Annan to me is like that, like Annie. That's she's a bit of a mean drunk, but she's funny. So you kind of <laughs> let it slide at the Christmas dinner. Do you know what I mean? You kind of like, oh ha ha, that's so funny. Um, but it's not okay. Um, Annan's that sort of place, and um, throughout my transition, I mean, my friends and family were so supportive. Um, obviously, they had their concerns and were worried, but. I think over the years, seeing me blossom into a young woman who, you know, I'm not, it's fairly attractive. I mean, I've had no, <laughs> I've had no complaints. For those who have never seen Joe, she is one of the most stunning lassies I think I've ever seen. Seconded. Like, girl. <laughs> I mean, girl. Mod, I mean, I, I was with a model agency, but a brief <laughs> period, a brief period, a brief period. Yeah, picture, I'm um, five foot 11, lanky blonde, big tits. <laughs> sharp jawline yeah and you can paint that picture in your head yes please do <laughs> right yeah but no um so it is just one of those it's just one of those um small towns small minds sort of place did people notice that you know did they recognize you once you transitioned so it's it's kind of like being a butterfly in a cocoon so it happens so gradually and obviously i had my friends from school that were seeing me all the time but if they hadn't seen me for like quite a long period you know a couple of months um i've been on hormones three years now and there's a lot of physical and mental changes you're basically going through a whole new puberty mm -hmm. there was times i mind mean, the first time i went up to university in september 2021 by the time i came back and just for December they were like Joe you look so different like um so but it's funny now though because there is certain people that I haven't seen since school and I've seen but they don't realize it's me and it's great because 
I'll see them on nights out and I'll be like, oh, hello, like such and such. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, a proper like mind boggle them. I'm like, oh, I know you, but you don't know me <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so they, they don't recognize me, which in a way is good. But I certainly found with my transition in the beginning, there was certain people, usually groups of lads from Annan, they're a bit older than me, that um, once they caught wind of it, once it was benounced to the, the wider public that I was, would give me shit for it. Now they don't even look at me because obviously I've had work done, the hormones I've had a chance. Because because I pass now and I'm a all right looking lassie, they can't even look at me and I don't get made fun of anymore. But it's a shame that I would have to do that because in my mind it's like, oh, so now that I look good, you won't say anything to me. But when I was still in my sort of like ugly duckling stage, which when I have a lot of trans women friends, we all talk about this in the beginning, you do kind of go through that ugly duckling stage where you're you're sorting yourself out and, you know, so, and it's one of those things that it's like, you shouldn't be treating me differently now, you should have been fine with it from the get-go, but now yeah. because, like, I don't really stand out and um, no one bats an eyelid, so now I'm at the point where, especially very much in Anne, and it's one of those things that I don't get any any bother but I know that's just because I pass which is a shame and we can get into the whole passing privilege thing later because it is quite interesting that um so at this point I don't don't have any any bother thankfully um so yeah it's a wild ride it's a wild ride, <laughs> it's a wild ride. <laughs> you just to kind of to just return um to the lockdown period so just to be clear were you staying at home with your family kind of during that period yeah the, the whole time so um I went to college in Glasgow um so I was living up there um and then I moved home um March of 2020 um and then I was just there besides the odd time I was away back up to university I mean I was working full-time in Annan and in, in that factory so I was just living at home full-time Still am at the moment. I want to move out eventually, obviously. Um, but yeah, that whole time I was living at home. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously it sounds like you have a really supportive kind of family network around you there. But I mean, d did you think that was a real benefit to you during your um, transition process? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think there's a, a statistic that the majority of people that detransition, it's not because they've realised they're not transgender. It's because they've not got the support system. You know, they've got, if, you know, some of them have families that say, well, you can do this, but not under our roof. And they fling them out and they're on the streets homeless. So majority of detransitioners is because they've not got the support system. They've not got the support of friends and family that are helping them with their journey. Um, and so a lot of the time they're just like, well, I'm getting in loads of bother for this. So I'll just hunker down and not do it for now because otherwise, you know, I'll be kicked out. I'll be homeless. I'll have no, fr lose my friends or family. So yeah, it's it's vital. I mean, I'm so thankful um, that my friends and family um, were supportive. Uh, I'm, however, one of those. I'm quite typical Aries. I'm very headstrong. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like it or lump it. So I feel like even if they weren't supportive of it, I'd have done it anyways. But obviously, it it so helps because I it's sad because I know I know of kids that you know have been flung out or aren't in touch with their family because of it. Especially, like, as you said, like, we're in a very rural community where it is like the Stone Age a lot of the time with people's views and things. They are very backwards and they just... A lot of the time it's just because they don't get it and they're not open to learning about it. And so it is sad. I mean, down here, it's not so much in the cities, but it isn't that uncommon down here for people. I mean, I know of a lot of people that their their families aren't supportive uh, especially in Anna I mean the stories I could tell you I mean there's so many just guys that are closet age and it's like <laughs> oh. it's not the 1940s you can be out as gay bisexual whatever no one's gonna care but it's still that mob laddish mentality mm -hmm. of they're scared what their friends or family would think yeah um so mm -hmm. and it's a shame but Anna's Anna's a different beast within itself it I mean, is like, and i don't mean to you know slag it off i mean i'm an annan lassie and you can take the lassie out of annan but you can't take the annan <laughs> lassie like i'm in a way it was a nice place to grow up you know it's a nice scenic small town but i did find as i got older and turned into a young adult and had experienced city life i just going back home i just realized this this just isn't the place for me, like it's too small. Everyone knows everybody's business. I feel like I'm walking around and like paranoid slightly that, 
you know, I never go out on nights out and on, and because of that, because I'm paranoid that, you know, if a guy approaches me, which happens often, by the way, <laughs> um, I'm paranoid if they do that someone, it's only going to take one guy that knows me from school to go up to them and be like, oh, that's a man. And then the, the, the gig's up. So I, I just, there's always an undertone of feeling uncomfortable if I, when I'm out in Annan just because, I mean, even at, I mean, even at Seafoods where I was working, I mean, everyone knew in there. But surprisingly, I mean, factories are rough. Like, that's like yeah. the proper rough, like, you know, scheme mums of Annan that work in there. Mm. They were all fine with me. They, they never had an issue. They had questions and I was fine answering them. But again, which we can go on to later, the passing privilege thing, a lot of them with me, because a lot of them didn't know until they got told by someone else, a lot of them were just like, oh, well, we had no clue. We just thought you were a normal lassie, which I am. Um, but, oh, we had no clue. So, But because of that, they were more, I think they were automatically more accepting of it just because they didn't, they wouldn't have known otherwise yeah. kind of thing. So um, I suppose we should get into that actually because we, we've talked about it, well you've talked about it a couple of times now, passing privilege. Yeah. For those who may not know, can you just briefly describe what that means? Yeah, so passing privilege is just someone that you'd look at on the street and you'd basically probably wouldn't have a clue that they were transgender. Um, and it is a thing and it's sad because I have friends at various different stages in transition and we'll go on nights out and I'll see and hear the things that people will say to them and it's horrible mm -hmm. but it's a big thing especially I feel in the city there's not much pressure right because in the cities it's just like do whatever you want no one cares you know paint yourself purple but down here I found a lot of pressure to assimilate and to pass because I had no choice you know maybe had I been in a city where everyone wouldn't have cared anyway but down here in the sticks I was like no like, the goal for me is to go down the street with no makeup on, no one butts an eye, and I've achieved that. But it is a shame because it's one of those things that I feel like it's so superficial. And obviously, I have so many trans friends at different stages of their journey. And it's like, you shouldn't be treating me any differently from them just because of, you know, physical stuff, like the way we look. Like, it's just, I think it's just so shallow. It's like, you shouldn't be treating us differently just because, no, you know. And on the, the other end, is true. It's like, I don't like the trans women online that are absolutely stunning and like they, you know, shun and shame trans people that are on, you know, another part of their journey because mm. I'm, at the end of the day, I say it's like, it does not matter how pretty or passable you are. At the end of the day, those bigoted people see us all the same. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, they see us all the same. It doesn't matter how pretty, how passable you are. At the end of the day, those people, they're always just going to see you as a man or whatever backwards view they've got and that's why it's sad to see so many girls they get hooked on the surgeries because they're not seeking validation from themselves they're seeking it from other people yeah. and I see yeah. that a lot and it's a big problem because the only person you should feel validated by is yourself if you're trying to get it from other people you're never going to get it and it's sad because you know they'll get so much done and there's I know lots that have and they're still not happy because they're still seeking that external validation from from others that are never going to accept them in the first place because they're just and their mindset is of well she looks like a woman but she's not really a woman we're just we're just we're just going on going along with it kind of thing and i've got no time for people like that in my life no no, no. i'm a supermodel <laughs> <laughs> so part of transitioning usually for most trans people is the surgery aspect of it all. Yes. Have you had any surgeries yourself? I know you'd mentioned the tracheal. Yes, the Adam's apple. Yes. yes, I'm no stranger to a surgeon's knife. Oh. That's for sure. Um, I did everything really quickly. And again, I'm from a place of privilege that because I had a supportive family, they didn't, to clarify, they didn't pay for any of my surgeries, but because I had an accepting family that didn't fling me out of the house on in the streets and I had a full-time job through all of this, I was able to just work, save up my pennies to afford these surgeries. A lot of people can't. A lot of people are in very different financial situations. They're maybe li living under their own roof where they're having to pay their bills for their food and everything. I was very fortunate in that you know, I was living at home basically rent-free at the time and was able just to put all my wages... Um, into saving up for these surgeries. And COVID made it easier because we couldn't go out. Yeah. So that money wasn't getting spent, you know. Um, but yeah, I did. I feel like for me, um, I've only been transitioning for just over three years. I did, I've done everything very, very quickly. So um, 
have I've had my tracheal shoe, which is an Adam's apple removal. Um, I had my boob job last year. Um, I've had laser hair removal all over my face, so I've not got a beard anymore. Um, and I've been on hormones um, privately for three years. Um, and I'll have been on the waiting, the NHS waiting list four years in April of next year. Mm. Four years. Jeez. But we can get on to all that later. Um, well, yes, we absolutely yeah. will. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll cover this question now and then we'll move on. Um, so someone has wrote in um, who wished to remain anonymous. Ooh, um, they're mysterious. Very mysterious. Um, but they ask, how did you find trans healthcare in Dumfries? Now, I think what they're trying to get at is how did you find it? How did mm-hmm. you come across trans healthcare mm-hmm. in Dumfries? Um but we could also look at it from the other angle of how was your experience with trans healthcare in Dumfries and Galloway? Mm. So, um, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say Dumfries. So basically when I started, I thought, right, my dad said to me, you have to have a plan. Like, how are you going to finance this? How are you going to go? So I just researched it. And my hormone clinic is called Your GP and it's in Edinburgh and they do other things too there. Um so I flew through the private clinic system fairly quickly. Um, so I've been on hormones privately for three years, um, which I pay for out my own pocket um, because the NHS, they're just, I, I feel like the NHS in a way, they just, they try and make it so ridiculously hard. I mean, it's like obstacle after obstacle with them because I've been on the waiting list since April 2020. So it's almost four years and in those four years, there's literally been about two months of movement in the waiting list. So when I put my name on the late waiting list in April 2020, they were going through, I think, April 2018 applications. And they're now going through, like, July 2018. So I'm like, I phoned them up and I was like, okay, so over the course of three and a bit years, you've went through two months worth. And I'm not sure if it because COVID had backlogged it, but I think they're reforming a lot of the system now and they're getting, because I think it was backlogged because of COVID. They are firing through a lot of sort of applications now. But I was very much a person of that. I've never had a victim mindset. I've always seen myself as Wonder Woman. I've always seen myself as you know, Xena warrior princess kind of, do you know? So I was like, I'm not going to sit around for years just to start transition. I was like, that's not me. I'm going to save up. I'm going to, you know, undo it myself. And I'm glad I did because it means by the time I go for my original hormone consultation with the NHS, I'll rock up. I'll have had like three surgeries by this point, you know, been living full time for a million years and I'll have been on hormones for about four years, four and a half years by that point, which will make it quicker. Um, but again, there's some people that don't have the same journey as me, and I, I, I just, for me, I just couldn't fathom just sitting around um, waiting just to start hormones because I think hormones is such a key thing for your transition and it, mentally as well. You just change so much. So, yeah, the the whole system in the in in the UK isn't good. I have to say, my small GP and Annan have been stars though with um, taking my bloods for me every three months. I've had no issues at all. In fact, when I was up in Edinburgh for uni, GPs are so much worse up there because it's like same day appointment. You have to phone up at eight in the morning and it's like for the same day. But Girl, that's how it is here. I know. <laughs> I didn't realise. I didn't realise. I was so sheltered. I was like, why is it like this? But At luck, maybe in surgery. <laughs> yeah. Um, at luck, Thorn Medical Center. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, Greencroft South in Annan has, um, has been good. But everyone's journey is different. Um so yeah, but uh, for me personally, I wasn't gonna. Sit, I refused to sit around for three years just to start my transition. I wasn't gonna do that. That is absolutely um, valid. Yeah. Um, I suppose we'll wrap up the interview portion just now because um, we can always talk a little bit more about other trans um, mm-hmm. topics as we talk about the news and so on and so forth. Um, but if you had one piece of advice for someone who maybe considering transitioning and they're you know they're at that point in their life where they're they're ready what one piece of advice could you give them that is a very good question um i would say i think in terms of your surroundings um if you're not sure how your friends or family are going to take it maybe hint it to them maybe you know bring up oh i saw this 
this news article about you know trans people like what are your thoughts on that like kind of suss it out first because I think I mean I've heard horror stories of people thinking their families will be accepting of it and then they've not got the reaction but so I would also say maybe you know prepare prepare for the worst and it is true you do lose people along the way but at the end of the day you gain so much more amazing people I mean I didn't meet any of you guys till April of this year yeah. now I've got an amazing queer friend group in Dumfries that I love and I didn't have previously so you lose some and you win some so um sometimes it's not until you go through losses that you actually do gain so I would say just be brave you just have to go for it it is I think coming out I mean you will understand this as well coming out is an incredibly hard thing to do I mean it was so hard for me just to get the words out but once I did it I felt so liberated um and more confident in myself just because when you when you finally admit it and say it out loud to yourself that I am this you're like phew it's real it's happening now this isn't something that I'm like trying to run away from anymore you're actually facing it um, so that would be my advice just be brave because it is a it's it's tough you know it's not easy especially in the UK ironically to transition in general it is really tough yeah. so I'd say to listeners as well if you've got any trans brothers and sisters be kind to them give them a break don't be too tough on them because it is really difficult and yeah um and it's really difficult to to pass because it's difficult in general in the UK to, to get surgeries done mm -hmm. you know I mean I had for my um boob job I had to have been in hormones for two years before I could get that done mm -hmm. so in the UK as well though it's just kind of barrier after barrier yeah. um they make it very very difficult in the UK far mm -hmm. too difficult I think so the takeaway from all that be brave be brave be bold <laughs> be yeah. you not be brave be you but no just um i don't know it's, it is just different for everybody but you just have to take the jump you just have to you just have to go for it yeah um you can't it's not something you can do in half so you have to you have to go full full force um that would be my advice. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so very much for being so candid, open, and wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, you're going to stick about? Yes, I am. Amazing. We will be back just after this quick break. Welcome back to Speaking Queerly, the podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, so we're going to get into some news. We still have Joe Levin with us. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, and you're going to get in on this? Absolutely. Stunning. Well, first off, before we get into the news, I just want to say a massive thank you to Emma Harper, who is the SMP MSP down here. Does she, she represents the region, right? Yeah, the or south the, of Scotland region. The on south the of list. Scotland region. Um she has submitted a motion to Parliament um, and it, it's uh, the LGBT plus Youth Scotland Life in Scotland Rural Report. Um, so thank you for submitting that, Emma. Um, I can't wait to, to hear more about it and, and, and where that goes. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's just really encouraging that we have such a, a wealth of support for the LGBTQ plus community from, you know, it's actually so many of our local so many. MPs and MSPs across the political spectrum. And councillors, we've got, we've, we've got a good deal of support in the council as well. Yeah, we absolutely do. Um, but, uh, you know, absolutely thank you to Emma for submitting that motion and, and making sure that that's duly acknowledged by the Scottish Parliament. Absolutely. Right, shall we get into it? Yes, let's do it, guys. Yes. Oh, Rishi, Rishi, why are you so pishy? <laughs> <laughs> Divine's in the room, so if you hear feral laughter from the back, <laughs> say hi, Divine. Hi, Divine. Slay. Rishi Sunak still repeating anti-trans, a woman is a woman statement. Oh, do you know, as um, the philosopher Gemma Collins once said, you're obsessed with me and I <laughs> love it. Yes, Honestly, absolutely. he's obsessed with us. I think he's a secret fan. I think, do you know, my theory is, <laughs> I think my theory is, you know, I know... I mean, something must have happened because guys that have a big problem with it, usually there's something undermining within them. Yeah. I My theory is is that Rishi got pied off by some really fit trans lassie <laughs> at some point down the line and now he just has a personal vendetta against them. There is something 100%, I think, behind there's the scenes or something. Yeah, there's there. definitely something. There's something definitely there. Definitely something. 
Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has repeated a widely criticised transphobic statement he made earlier this year despite hefty backlash to his comments. Uh, so he took to Facebook on Monday, which was a couple of days ago, and has reiterated what he said in his... Uh, what's that thing they do? Oh, was it the, con- the Conservative Party conference? The conference. He's repeated the what he said conference. in his conference speech. He said, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's just common sense. That's just on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's wild is I actually saw that uh, because I, I saw it because uh, Mikey Donahue <laughs> shared it on Facebook and giving him uh, airtime, Mikey, inadvertently, <laughs> but, but pointing out um, how nuts it was. And I thought this must be a spoof account because I really delved into it, actually, because I was like, sorry, who in this century is just getting on Facebook and making a random unqualified post with that little text, with no usually visual. someone called Kevin who lives right yeah. in the, in the slums. Like it was giving like drunk mum right on social <laughs> media, and I was like, that can't be real. And it's scary the politicization that's occurred around trans people over the only like over the last five six years. Yeah. I mean, even in twenty fifteen, it wasn't such a big deal but now it's all over the news it's so politicized we're very much the scapegoat and it's it is worrying that our own prime minister is coming out with you know quite backwards thinking views well i think i think he's the first one to publicly state that he doesn't support trans people i mean even Theresa May and Boris Johnson had, you know, had plans to ban conversion therapy in the UK. And there was a big debate on that today yeah. at the time of recording, which is Wednesday, the 6th of December. Um, they keep putting it off, though, don't they? They keep kind of yeah. saying they will and then they kind of... Well, they're, they're kicking the can. It's like the carrot. They're yeah. teasing us with the carrot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So he made the statement at the, the Tory party conference, as we just said. And during that speech, he said that people have been bullied into supporting the trans community, which we all know is dog shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and he is really just barreling down on this anti-trans rhetoric and it's, it's becoming dangerous now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very that. Yeah, and it's it's true, and it has been so politicised over the sort of five past five six years. They've just became so fixated and obsessed with with transgender people in the UK, and it means it's no wonder why it's so difficult. I mean, if they're not for us, of course they're going to make it hard for us to even exist and to transition in the first place. Because at the end of the day, if they had their way, we wouldn't be allowed to full stop. Yeah. Um, but I just so find find it so funny in the media at the moment in politics how we're used as the scapegoats. It's like how there's so many other issues you know it's that time of year again where people can't afford to put their heating on the cost of living and what does the uk gov decide to do oh let's ban trans women from female only wards because that's going to solve everybody's problems it's reminding sorry ruri i I completely cut you off no go if i don't say it i'll I'll lose it (laughs) it completely reminds me of margaret thatcher's time in office when gay men we're the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's becoming that serious. Totally. I think they know what they're doing because they... they, they we, we, we live in a society where people are motivated to get out and vote on ridiculous knee-jerk reactions. You know, people aren't voting for policies that are sensible or, you know, because it's not fun. It's not, you know, getting anyone excited. So for a long time... Um, you know, I've spoken before about our work in communications and had a, a, a stint <laughs> in political communication. So we know that for a long time that they've been using these shock stories or sensationalized talking points to try and motivate people to get out and vote. And what I think is really disturbing is that they, they have realized that they can really galvanize people around disinformation. And, you know, I, I had a front row seat to a lot of the kind of the, the furore um you know that that hit hollywood in in you know a few years ago uh, around uh, trans trans people and trans lives and they were so good at circulating disinformation and then making it seem like anyone that was coming in to kind of undercut that narrative and say okay here are the plain facts and this is why that's wrong that it was a part of a conspiracy mm. or it was part of some kind of liberal plot to bully people out of having an opinion and it's like sorry there's a difference between an opinion and a fact. Yeah. And I feel like we're going just through one of those periods um, where 
you know, I feel like every 10 to 15 years, I think in sort of the early 2010s, 2010, 2011, it was very pro-gay marriage. And so I feel like as a society, we go through a push and pull sort of dynamic where there's periods in time where things are very progressive and we're just kind of seeing the opposite. We're just that yeah. snap back where we're just going through a period again. We are, you know, they're being very discriminative and targeting certain minority groups. Yeah. But it'll come back again. I mean, who knows? Like, hopefully over the next the next decade, we will progress further. I just feel like at the minute, there's just such an obsession with it. I know? think a lot of it's manufactured as well, though, because go, just going back to the post that he made uh, on Monday night on Facebook... Um, I have a habit because I, I do a lot of this kind of tracking for uh, you know for for my work and uh, other things. When I see these sensationalized social media posts that are alt right bullshit, I go back. I love to go back and go through the comments mm-hmm. and then click on the actual accounts making the supportive comments, and they're all bot accounts. Mm-hmm. They're fake accounts or accounts that have absolutely no substantive uh, information in them, except for they're sharing constantly these news articles about trans people, mm-hmm. and it's like there's something. This person, whoever this person behind this account is, they did not get up one Tuesday morning and thought, you know what, I'm going to make a swathe of social media accounts Mm. (laughs) just to bash trans people. There's there's a concerted campaign going on here. I think it ties into what I I, I was going to say there. Um, I feel like as we're drawing closer to the next general election, which looks like it may be in the springtime if if what people are, are, are saying is true. Yeah. As we're coming into this next general election, it feels like all this anti-trans rhetoric is getting stronger and stronger and just really appealing to 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 right-wing conservatives, far-right-wing conservatives. Yeah. And I feel like it's only going to get stronger as time goes on. So more stuff about trans people, more stuff about immigrants, more stuff about, you know, getting the NHS up to speed, things like that. I feel like it's just going to keep coming at us. Well, don't worry, guys, because the NHS is going to be amazing now because Rishi's banned trans women from female wards. And we all know <laughs> that that's going to make us... It's not the funding that's the problem. Oh, no, they don't need more funding. They just need to make sure that trans women, which are a small, such a minute percentile of the population, are not allowed in female wards. So yeah. you've heard it here. Do yeah. you live in, in a bed next to your man coming soon yeah which to be fair i mean i'd probably i'll be a lot more popular in a men's ward let's be honest i'd have a field day but you mean i mean come on it's old jeff will not know what to do (laughs) Um, so from one batch of queens which is the wonderful trans community to another rupaul's drag race season 16 that the cast has been unveiled Ooh, Divine Tension pulls a face in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) And it includes the first ever Taiwanese queen, which, yay. Hooray. Hooray. We love that. All these queens look stunning. I am so excited for a new season of Drag Race, especially when they're competing for money because it feels like they work harder. (laughs) 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 But um, are we still excited for Drag Race? Is Drag Race losing its momentum? I feel like it's became such a commercial juggernaut now. Yeah. I think it's kind of lost the magic that the the earlier seasons had. I think it was around the time I saw personally the change after about season seven. It seemed to just become more of a bigger and bigger production. And then you had all the all-star seasons and now they've got like RuPaul's Drag Race Mars. Like, you know, there's so many... There's, there's so many now. Like every country has a... Every, I think... It, ha- it does feel like it's became a bit oversaturated. I think yeah. they need a reboot or like a different format to kind of re-engage everybody, I think. I, see, Something I, different. I, I agree. Like, I, I'm not a massive Drag Race fan, to be honest. Like, I really enjoy it. But I, you know, I, I, I didn't follow it right from the start. I started watching just kind of out of interest because my partner really wanted to watch it. And we just got hooked on it, actually. Mm-hmm. So we, like, binged a few seasons. Took a little break. And then... I feel like I kind of started to notice that in some of the later seasons, and I don't know if this is just my take on it, I feel like RuPaul is really tired. Oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't care. Like, she is there under duress. Like, cry, <laughs> like, monkey, cry. Yeah. Tell or us she, your traumatic story. <laughs> Dance. Like, just, just so expressionless sometimes. And I'm like, oh, honey. I know. Have a holiday. It does, it does feel that way. But I think even watching older seasons, because I do like to go back and visit, like, sort of season one to season six, because they're like... For me, the golden age of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. 
But even going back and watching them, she's she's not that express, expressive. She's never been... It's just the Botox. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, good for her. Um, but, do you know, I think for like me, I, I love Drag Race. I've always loved Drag Race. I always get excited for a new season of Drag Race. Um, I'm still part of, you know, that, that group of Drag Race fans that still actively looks forward to Drag Race. And if anyone spoils it, I get so mad. But what I will say is it's hard to keep up with it now, specifically sort of like all the franchises that have come off of it. Mm. So for me, the ones that I really keep up with are the US one, the UK one, and Canada. Because I, for some reason, I just really love the Canada yeah, Drag Race. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I love Canada's Drag Race. It's so good. They're the three I sort of keep up with. And if there's any sort of like branching off from those, like an All-Stars or a Versus the World, I will watch them because it usually involves characters that I've followed for such a long time and I want to keep up with. But when it comes to trying to watch Germany and watch Berlin and Sweden and Spain (laughs) and France and all the other drag races there are, it's so hard to keep up. And I think... For the first time as a Drag Race fan, if I'm going to be watching, say, an All-Stars winner season or a Versus the World, I won't know who a lot of these queens are, which when you're watching an All-Star season, that's kind of what you're coming back for, is to get reacquainted with the characters and see what they've gotten to. Don't get me wrong, I love seeing new queens. Like that, That's literally my part-time job, is meeting other mm. queens so watching them on TV, like, I love it. I love getting to know their craft and what they do. But I, I'm just really struggling to keep up mm. with it. All. The only thing I'd like to see on Drag Race UK is more Scottish queens. Because mm. I feel like we don't get a lot. I mean, there was Ellie Diamond and Lawrence Cheney in the same season. But am I right in saying has there been any Scottish queens on Drag Race since No, UK? you've had um, Rosé over on the American season. She was Scottish. Oh, yeah. Uh, and who's the other one, Divine? From the very... Morgan McMichaels? She's Scottish. Oh, I remember. I remember that. She's Scottish. And do you know, it's like, there has been Scottish queens, but four out of fuck knows how many seasons isn't mm. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Divine, you're in the room right now. Come and, come and join Joe over here. Hi. Because I'd love to know your take on it, because you're a massive Drag Race fan like I am. Mm-hmm. What are your opinions on the whole Drag Race thing? Hi. Um, <laughs> I am here. I have a very croaky voice today, so it's it's a, it's, it's a mood. Um, yeah, I love Drag Race. I, I, I have to say, I haven't actually... Do you know the first season of Drag Race that I never watched from the American season was season 13? And then I never watched season 14. And then I never watched season 15. But I still have this thing where when a um, cast gets announced, for example, I will see a few of them and be like, oh yes, that person, that person, that person, rooting for them. And then I'll just kind of keep up with it on social media. Um, mostly because I um, haven't gotten around to buying Wild Presents Plus yet. Um, I need to, because I kind of do want to watch this this next season because it does look good. Um, there's one queen in particular, I can't remember their name, but they are like a drag creature. Um, I can't remember their name, we but they were wearing a like a blue. Yeah, and I can't remember, I really, I wish I remembered their name, but they look stunning and I am rooting for them. There is a lot, because I feel like American culture and drag and UK culture and drag is so different, like so wildly different to the point where like everyone on that season, bar a few that I, because I saw the lineup earlier, everyone on the new season is kind of connected to either a drag family or a cast because like casts are massive things in America like not just having like a lineup for a show like Steaming for example when you just get like the artists that you know well for me as a producer the ones that make me feel excited and the people that I really want to be on the show but there's like actual casts like people that do the show every single week in America and it's the same people and it's kind of that kind of culture obviously they have tipping culture as well which would be so funny if it happened in the UK because people tip like dollar bills and that's like a note whereas can you imagine people tipping pound coins (laughs) just pelting the queens and the kings and the non-binary artists just with pound coins but no but i really i really do enjoy drag race i have to say i get much more excited for a uk season than for a us season only because i always like to see who i 
have either worked with or I kind of know through somebody else or blah 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 um or or if I know that person like for example on season five I knew Dee Dee Lachesse um and that was you know like really fun not saying that not saying that I was a massive fan of them on the show but I do love Dee Dee um, and drag just in general um but yeah I, I always tend to get more excited and I also like watch the season thinking hmm who am I going to book for the next season <laughs> so well speaking so, yeah. of that the reason Divine Tensions and the room with us tonight is we are going to be recording a special episode of Speaking Queerly just after this yes. one. Um, announcing hashtag who is Steeman. Who is Steeman. And that will be coming up in just a little bit. But thank you so yeah. much for popping your wee two pence in there. No problem. I just want to say one more thing about Drag Race in Go general. On. I think that the UK one, the beauty of it, is that it feels less produced than the US one now. So the US one feels like they know who the winner is from the get-go. Like season 15, Sasha Colby was always going to win. Yeah. There was never any doubt. Anitra was always going to be in the top. There was a couple of queens that were like, okay, like we, I see your journey, but it's all very like meticulous now. And I would love to hear like, a US queen that hasn't been on Drag Race's perception of what the casting's like, because I know in this country it's kind of like a thing where producers come to shows and people, you know, kind of get scouted but kind of don't, but you still have to audition and all that sort of stuff. So it'd be interesting to see like what the perspective is from a US queen who has been trying for, because there must be someone out there that's been trying since season one, and now they're on season sixteen and they're still, still keeping on, you know. It's got to be. Oh, there has to be. So I would love to hear that. So if anyone's listening and anyone knows that one queen, then please tell us. Because yeah, <laughs> I would love... in touch. Absolutely. If there's anything you would like to chime in on, please do not hesitate. Head on over to Facebook and search for Speaking Queerly with Madam Joan Rury. Or head on over to Instagram slash threads and search at speaking.queerly. We will be back in just a moment for some Read It Reddit. I feel like the way you're holding your phone, you're like about to call the police. <laughs> 911, this is an emergency. I've heard that story. Yeah. Welcome back to Speaking Queerly. My name is Madam Joe Mama, if you didn't already know. That's Rudy Thinsmith over there. That, love that. That's Joe Levin over there. Good day, mate. Good day. <laughs> Divine's out in the corner. Hiya, hen. Hiya, hen. Right, time for some Read It Reddit? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Here we go. How good was that jingle? <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here we go. This is from Reddit user, Reddit user underscore one, two, three, four, five. Oh, no. One, two, three, five, four. Sorry. Oh, she's, oh. she's different. And <laughs> she's this, was, this was posted to true off my chest. Here's the original post. My partner is transitioning and I don't know what to do. He was a girl before. Then he was a they-them. Now he's he-they. To be honest, I, female, don't know how to feel about it. I know he's the same person, but I don't know if I can stay in this relationship. I'm queer, but I usually steer clear of men. I don't know what to do and I can't talk to him about it because then he'll assume I don't want him anymore. But I do. I love him. Him for him, but I always imagine myself ending up with a girlfriend and not a boyfriend. I still support him, of course, but I don't know how to feel or what to feel or how to handle this without seeming rude or unsupportive. I just really needed to get this off my chest. I really have nobody to talk to about this. It's been bothering me for a good week, but until yesterday, I think I was in some sort of denial about it. I need somebody to know. I needed a place to say it. Hmm. Thoughts. Hmm. Food for thought. That's great, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you, you got anything to say? Uh, <laughs> I'll have the main course. Um, so, um, the thing highlighted in there is that when she's saying, "I know he's the same person, but he's not," and yeah. as someone that's transitioned. You're not the same person like three years in at the at the other end of the tunnel. I mean, you change f so much physically and mentally. He won't be the same person. And it is common that um, 
if you're in a relationship and one partner transitions, a lot of the time the relationship does do end because, again, they do change into the opposite gender. And, you know, back to sexual orientation, if your partner's not bisexual, then chances are they're going to be supportive, but it's not going to be as a romantic partner. It's just going to be as a good friend. Yeah. Um. I mean, uh, there's very seldom cases where I see somebody transition and their partner remains with them unless their partner's bisexual or their partner also is transgender. You get a lot of trans power couples these days as well. Um, um, So yeah, it's a tough one. I think if she, by the sounds of it, I think she's made her decision. Like she's going to be supportive, but it's just, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, you get that in normal relationships Two People change, right? So yeah. it's just one yeah. of those things. It's like you can still be for, be there for them as a supportive, well, as loving someone, friend. But as someone who has in in three days will surpass the eleven year mark of the relationship. What I will say is, we always change from mm-hmm. beginning to the end of your relationship. When whether that be just at the end of your life or whether that just ends all of a sudden, yeah, you change change is normal you you change with your partner change is natural um obviously transitioning is a bigger change quicker than maybe what you can be naturally Mm -hmm. um but i do think like i've got to put myself in like her shoes and go okay so if that was my partner which in this case let's say it's murray if murray turned to me tomorrow and said i'm trans I'd be completely fine with it. Mm. Like, I'm comfortable with my own sexuality. I'm comfortable within myself that if Murray was to tell me that he thought he may be a woman or that he may be non-binary, I'd be completely okay with that. Um, And I would hope that he would feel the same way if I was to come out as trans as well. But I can imagine there would be strain put on the relationship in terms of all the changes that are happening because it does it can't as you said joe it can happen very quickly Mm. and sometimes it is slow and depending Mm. on what route you take but if if it was to happen very quickly you know i just do i think it's a sexuality thing too because if i had a boyfriend hypothetically so i am taking um you know offers boyfriend boyfriend (laughs) applications guys please um if i had a boyfriend and he said he was transgender and he was going to transition i'd be supportive but at the end of the day i'm attracted to men not women yeah. so if obviously if he was going to transition into women first of all you can't stop them i'd be supportive but i'd i'd have to go through my grieving process because i'd be losing my boyfriend but at the same time i'd be gaining a friend yeah. but i would say to them it's like you do you but i'm not i'm only going to be here in like a friend capacity it's not going to be a romantic relationship anymore because i'm not i I, you know, I want to be with a man romantically, not a woman. So, yeah. I mean, that's the I thing. I mean, we've we've talked about whenever we have a relationship, read it, read it. I always think it comes down to the specifics of that relationship and about the communication because, yeah. you know, it's like you you were talking about with Murray, and similarly for me with Derry. I mean, I, I you know, I think if he was to to turn around and transition, there's an emotional love there. You know, there's a spiritual kind of a, a love there that's for him as, as, as a person. And obviously that would change. You know, you rightly pointed out that, that you're yeah. not necessarily the same person. You're going through a whole process and reforming, you know, possibly mm-hmm. at a spiritual level who, who you are. So, you know, you've got to watch out for that change as well. But then also on the physical level, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be attracted. So you, you yeah. then have that sort of weighing up of... I think the love would turn into a platonic one. Yeah. It'd just be like as a friend that you really... Totally. And then it, dearly, I guess it becomes kinda. a question of what's the dynamic in your relationship. Is mm-hmm. that enough for you to continue in a relationship? Is that what you see for yourself? You know, would you potentially see yourself as kind of like attached to each other as a relationship but seeing other people physically mm-hmm. to fulfill that need? I mean, there's so many variables that I think that are... <clears throat> pardon me classically we don't factor in for Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the the real strengths of where we're getting to about discourse in terms of queer relationships is that actually they look and manifest in so many different ways Mm -hmm. yeah and we shouldn't be afraid of the conversation around that and and you know we we should be encouraging people to evolve and to have those conversations as a couple Mm -hmm. you know is the relationship going to survive possibly not you know because maybe it is the determination of that couple they need something that's going to physically work yeah. for them yeah i get that all completely um mm-hmm. all very valid there is an update Ooh. Ooh. 
outcome. So uh, Reddit user underscore one two three five four has updated us with Sorry to be that person to do an update, but I'm still with him. He changed his name and everything, and now I'm almost every con- co- <sighs> Madam Joe is illiterate. He changed his name and everything, and now in almost every conversation, he talks about what he wants to look like as a boy. I tried to talk to him about it and how it made me feel, but he just changed the subject, and I chickened out. I didn't want him to feel like I wasn't supportive or get the wrong idea in what I'm saying. I feel like there's nobody I can talk to because all my friends are his friends and my parents don't know that I'm dating, let alone that I dated a girl and now a trans guy. The situation is kind of just getting worse and worse, but I just can't break up with him. We've been dating for a really long time and I've never had to break up with anyone before and I'm especially... It's especially hard when the person you're trying to break up with is really special to you. I'm not sure he'd even talk to me if I broke up with him. I feel trapped and it's just the worst feeling ever. Plus, all that keeps getting talked about how he's getting glasses... Sorry. (laughs) Plus, all that he keeps talking about now... Okay, it's their fuck up. Not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, all that he keeps talking about how he's getting glasses and is asking all his friends to introduce him as a new person after summertime. This irks me so much because I like the old person he was, but he's talking about how he's going to change his personality and how he looks basically becomes a new person. A new person is not what I signed up for, but I don't know how to tell him without hurting his feelings. I'm not transphobic or anything, but I definitely lost the person I asked out when I decided he was trans. When he decided he was trans. I feel, I, I feel like there's there's so many layers to there that is. update. Yeah. It's, such, it's such a complicated story. Yeah. I think personally that she's she's really struggling getting to know the, the man that's came out of of this thing I don't get if she said and did she say in the beginning she's like bisexual or she said she was queer she was queer because they see if they're bisexual they shouldn't be much of an issue I wouldn't think in that sort of dynamic but again by the sounds of it if she's only an elite woman again I think she's trying to she's she's trying to kid herself it's like they are changing into another person that's the point that's why they're doing it so it's like you can still be there for them and supportive of them. And I don't think don't it, be... he may not necessarily be changing who he is. He may just be discovering who he is. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's such a big change in his life that yeah, there probably is things that are coming out about him that are, you know, things that he's had to to keep locked away for such a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting one. It, it really is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think there's a lot to, there's so many layers to unpack. I mean, I'd, first of all, they don't sound super well. No. You no. know, they sound like they're in a really isolated place talking about they don't have a family connection, all their friends with their <gasps> partner's friends. It's Plot like, okay, twist. Yeah. Is that Rishi Sunak that's trying? <laughs> 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 no. Rishi, is that you? <laughs> oh my I, God. I think this is one that we could talk about for ages and ages but how about we wrap this up um because we have got another speaking clearly to record um but what i will say is before we we do the close out we're going to be taking a break um we can do that now we're not on the radio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're gonna say this is the conclusion of season one of speaking clearly the podcast og cast og cast (laughs) an honor um so we will be back in the new year Uh, as i said before we will have a steaming special that will drop on the first of january to go alongside um the who is steaming announcement um and that will be with divine tension so that first drop that that drops on the first of january i am Needn't to put my teeth in today. <laughs> um, right. Well, a massive thank you to the stove and the staff for allowing us to use their facilities, their building, and their equipment to record Speaking Quail the podcast. A massive thank you to my wonderful co-host, Rory Thinsa. You are most welcome. And a massive thank you to our special guest, Joel Levin. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a blast. Thank you for popping in. We've, we've had such an interesting chat. 
And hopefully we'll have you on uh, uh, See, see, we'll have you on again in the future. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Massive thank you to Divine in the Corner. Say thanks, Divine. And a massive thank you to you listening at home. We will be back in the new year on the 1st of January. Until then, my name has been Madam Joe. And tell your cat I said Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>